Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Welcome again to all those who are here today who maybe are visiting for the first time. Glad that you've uh, come on this Thanksgiving Sunday. What a great, what a great time to give thanks. Uh, anybody had a chance to go out and see any of the beautiful trees just starting to turn about now? Uh, yeah, some of you did, and uh, we did, uh, not just for the reason of seeing trees, but we were out into the country yesterday, and they're just starting to turn, and that is uh, the next week to two weeks are such a beautiful time. I know I don't have to tell you, but it's one of the reasons I thank God for my country, one of the things I thank the Lord for. This is a great opportunity today to to tangibly, this weekend, and certainly going forward, to tangibly look for ways to express thanksgiving to people. To, and not always just the obvious ones. It's good to give the obvious ones. Uh, Lori and I will be going and visiting my mother in the nursing home here right after the service, and opportunity to say thanks. But even the ones that maybe aren't so obvious... To know that you were appreciated, to know that you are valued. And sometimes we, you know, we don't maybe say it enough, do we? Um, just not saying thank you, but think about what it is that you are maybe thankful for. Just one or two things. Something about the person, something about maybe what they've done or who they are to you. The significance that they are in your life. And it doesn't have to be earth-shattering for you to formulate a thank you. Thank you for being this. Gratitude is one of the greatest things lacking, I think, in society. And it's one of the greatest things that give people hope for tomorrow, is when somebody is thankful. I want to start right here by thanking all those who helped prepare our, our pancake breakfast this morning. Thank you to, would you make pressure? Thank you. Thank you, Justin. Thank you. I'm not going to begin to name names here, but thank you, guys, because there's a bunch that came early began to get it, picking up supplies, um, the drinks, and just providing a time of breakfast. I thank God for everyone. We thought it would be a great day to put name tags on us. We try to do that at least once a month so that you know names. If you're like me, we're constantly trying to remember names. And if you're like me, you have a hard time remembering names. Uh, they say if you repeat a name in the conversation three, in the same conversation three times, you'll remember it. Not me. I wish. I might remember for that conversation. And then the next time I just, you know. And uh, so it, um, make sure you take a moment even before you head out. I know some of us got activities today and this weekend. But to um, maybe just, uh, uh, this is a great opportunity to walk up to somebody and call them by name. And say, hi, my name is Wayne. Good to meet you in whatever their name is. Uh, isn't that kind of cool? Were you able to do that? It means a lot. And to just greet somebody by name. The text I'm going to be going to is found in 1 John chapter 4. And I invite you to go there. But, oh, and maybe what I'll do, just to kind of put you on high alert, uh, Daniel and the worship team, uh, I was so moved in that third song that we did, the uh, song, uh, Jesus, We Love You. Um, all the songs for that matter. You know it's a good song service when I blow out my voice. (laughs) 
Because I have to, they call it, I forget the name for it. They call it, you have to reserve your voice. I've, I've, my voice does not last long. And so I, I usually have to sing really quiet because that way I can still speak afterward. But I kind of blew it out on the song service because I just couldn't not sing. And right from get-go, God is good. And then right from on in, and then I realized at the end of your fourth song, I'd lost my voice. Uh, and I go, shoot, I got I to gotta do better next time. So then I tried not to talk. And so here we are. But anyway, maybe the third song. If the worship team, if you guys can, well, originally we weren't planning to have you all come back up. But if you're okay with it, worship team, i uh, love you to come back up and close our service out with that song again. Uh, just a beautiful song, just to express our love. The, the picture of, of before Jesus and pouring out our love. I just, I, I picture that, that story of Mary and Jesus and, and loving on him and not caring what others think. Isn't that a great story? And so I just, uh, let's do that song. Let's plan for that. First John chapter 4. There's a scripture I'm going to read before I do it, and this is not on our PowerPoint. So again, welcome you. Welcome those who are online uh, for joining us on this Thanksgiving Sunday. Uh, I want to read this text from Philippians chapter 1. You don't have to turn to it, but just Philippians chapter 1 verse 3. Paul says this. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. Every time I remember you, I thank God. What would that look like if when you remember people who uh, have been a part of your life, if you just pause for three or four seconds maybe and just give God thanks for them? What would that look like? You'd be doing probably a lot of pausing and a lot of just giving thanks. That's Now, Paul... Writing here, he can't exaggerate. This is scripture. So when he says, I thank my God every time I remember you, he means it. Every time this person comes to mind, he pauses and says, God, I thank you. And he names that person. I thank you for that. And probably why? Let me just read it again. I thank my God every time I remember you. Then he talks about in all his prayers. Then verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So let me read it together. I thank my God every time I remember you, verse five, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's thanking God for the person. He's thanking God for whoever he's addressing and many, he would address many. I thank God because you partnered with me. We were co-workers in the good news. I think one of the greatest missed opportunities are those that have served together and maybe we've not appreciated that shoulder to shoulder, the work that is done together. I was appreciating and having conversations with people this morning downstairs over the breakfast how important this has been to have time of fellowship and food, to be able to express even just doing life together. Life together as a church, life together and serving. Those that serve together and are sound and visual. Those that serve together and are a live stream and ushering. Those that serve together in our cafe. Those that serve together in preparing our food, setting up, tearing down. But they come along and they serve together. 
They were part of it. Those that served together in singing and instruments and leading together. Those that served together in leadership and planning and teaching our children right now while we are here. Those that continue to come together and serve together. And Paul was saying, I thank God every time I remember you because we partnered together. There was the work that we did together. And I thank God that we had an opportunity to partner together. If you live long enough and you serve in the church long enough, you will have many opportunity to pause and to give thanks for those that partnered together with you over the years. What a great privilege. What a great privilege to make a difference for eternity. What a great privilege it is to be able to influence a young life downstairs, to be able to influence the life of a youth forever and ever. I, this past weekend on Zoom, actually last night, when we had our prayer Zoom, during my time of praying, I just began to reflect on those who influenced my life, and I began to list off Mrs. Morrison, and there was Mr. Woods, and you know Mrs. Mrs. Sprackett, and there was uh, you know the different ones, Mrs. Ward and Mr. Mrs. Uke, and and began to go down through the names, and and these were all Sunday school teachers when I was a kid, and they taught my class, and they would uh, they would teach it every Sunday for a year. Um, and I began to just thank God for them. Many of them aren't alive. I'm not sure if any of them are alive now, to be honest. I thank God for Pastor Dave. He was my youth pastor. And Pastor Paul before him. I thank God for him. I thank God for um, Pastor uh, uh, Doug. And he was the one who sent me off to Bible college. And I began to think through the different people that influenced me. I thank God for, um, you know, the person who kind of gave us the first ministry, Mr. Gibson. Even right now, I can't remember his first name. It's always Mr. Gibson. And, and he always was the usher that greeted you by name. He was one of the ones who could remember names. And so always greeted you by name. I re- thank God, Mrs. Marjorie Courtney. And she always... When I started Bible college, she would give me a stamp, like a postal stamp. She gave me a postal stamp. Make sure you write your mother. I didn't have the heart to tell her I drove home every weekend, and so it was pointless to write my mom, but make sure you write your mother. And so she gave me a stamp. And then it got really exciting. She gave me $5 one time and just didn't know what to do. I, maybe that was about buying a bunch of stamps. And, uh, but she, she prayed for me. This little lady wasn't five foot tall. Pray, I thank God. I thank God for you. I thank God. And there are many. Take time. Take time to do that. I want to come back to that text again in Philippians. He says, I thank God every time I remember you because we partnered together. That's where I want to take us in 1 John. I consider just jumping topic today because it was Thanksgiving Sunday and I chose not to because I didn't need to. This chapter really facilitated Thanksgiving. Again, 1 John 4. Uh, We have been on a journey, if you're new with us today, we've been on a journey following John to the heart of Jesus. We are following the youngest of the 12 disciples because he considered himself the one that Jesus loved. Now, we know. We know Jesus loved them all. And I'm pretty sure Jesus loved them all equally. But John thought he was the one that Jesus pulled the desk up to the front and gave special attention to. He was the one, he, 
Jesus would make reference to when, when others were, others seemed to compare themselves to John, the youngest. You know, well, what about John? And Jesus, no, 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 don't worry about John. What about you? John was the one that was, he had no fear, no apprehension to press in next to Jesus when it came mealtime, right? He wanted to be beside Jesus. Matter of fact, he even, his, he even had his mom talk to Jesus and say, when, when you get to heaven, can, can me, John, and my brother James, can we sit on the right and the left side of you? you know, we, we want to be right there. Man, that might have been a bit arrogant of John, but you got to love the guy for loving Jesus. You've got to love him for loving Jesus, and that's why I've chosen John, that we would do a study on John. If you're visiting with us, we encourage you to go back, go into our website, auroracornerstone.ca, and into the menu, hit sermons, and there are nine sermons prior to this that start from John chapter 1, the gospel, because John has written five books of the New Testament, and we're looking at the fourth one today, but he's written five books. I encourage you to go back and spend some time just following John to the heart of Jesus. I invite you for our next session, we're going to begin Revelation. And some have been waiting a while to get to Revelation. I have had more people ask me to preach from Revelation in the last two years, two and a half years of the pandemic than I had in all my ministry because it was like we felt the time had come, the end times. And I don't, I don't deny that I also believe we are near, we are near the end time. But I want to begin from the book of Revelation very intentionally. And I wanted to do Revelation not as a, a book in and of itself, that we would just study the end times, but that we would study it in the context of everything that John wrote. Because it is connected. And so invite you, if you haven't read from the book of Revelation re- recently, go ahead and start doing that. And uh, we'll pick that up next time that we're together when I begin to talk from the book of Revelation. That'll actually be a couple of weeks. I'm going to be doing something a little different next week. But I encourage you to read from the book of Revelation. We're going to read together John, 1 John 4, verse 16. Let's read. Just follow along with me. I like the first three words uh, when I come into this text here. God is love, and whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. I'm going to read that verse 16 again. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God in them. This is how we love, or this is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The key verse I'm going to hone in on today is verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister. Now remember the brother or sister. Note that a brother or sister. Not referring to your blood brother or sister. You could apply that, but he's referring to those in the faith. Those in the faith. Whoever claims to love God yet hates brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister 
whom they have seen cannot love God. Isn't that bold? Whom they've not seen. Father, I just ask that you would help us to be able to understand what you are saying to us here. We may have a preconceived idea of this. I pray that, God, it's a Holy Spirit idea. That, Lord, we are true to what you are saying, we ask in your precious name. Amen. Cornerstone has a vision statement by which we govern all our ministries. Our ministries from our seniors, our women's, our men's, to our children's ministry. It's one vision statement. And the vision statement we didn't come up with. It's a rewording of the three principles that have been given to the New Testament church of doing life together. The three principles have come from the, call it the great commandment, which he says, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus actually gave two because you can't separate them. Remember, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. And then to, what's the second part? Tell me. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love others. Who is my neighbor? Your neighbor is anybody that you will cross-sector with day in, day out. Anybody. It's not your literal, can be, but it's the people you cross paths with. Your neighbor. It can be online. It can be in the grocery line. It can be on the line at work. It can be um, family. It can be church. Okay? It can be uh, on the soccer field. Whoever you cross-sector with, the neighbor... Love the Lord with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. He, he didn't separate those. Those are twine, intertwined together. That's the great commandment we're, called, we're told. That's the greatest commandment, he said. Then he talked of in Ephesians. Paul began to talk about, he, he talks about you need to be in the unity of faith, building each other up, which brings us to the second part, which is that growing together. We need to be in the teaching. We need to spur one another on to good deeds. The second part. And then the last part, Matthew chapter 28, where it talks about the Great Commission. Go into all the world and proclaim Christ is Lord. Start where you are and then move out. You know, our neighbors really today, aren't they global? I mean, we can be anywhere in the world in a matter of hours. But even more than that, we can go on Zoom and we can be anywhere. We talk to missionaries all the time. People that are the opposite end of the globe. We are a global community now. We live in a global community. Our neighbors are not simply those within a walking distance. Our neighbors are all over the world. And so the principle here is that we start with those we know now and then it flows to those we will come to know. And so our vision statement is this. Loving God and others, growing together in Christ, serving our world. Not many more complicated than that. We really govern it by three words. And every time I have leadership meetings, I ask the question, what is our vision statement? Because it drives everything we do. It's about love. Today we're talking about that. It's about growing together. That's what we're doing today in the, sh in the sharing and the teaching. It's what they're doing downstairs today. It's what we do in the midweek. It's what we do in our cornerstone school of ministry, growing together. We're going to grow together. We're iron sharpens iron. We're going to get to know each other and develop each other's giftings. And then serve, serve. Miles Monroe, pastor of yesteryear, made this great comment in one of his books. I can't quote it necessarily, but it was based on this principle. He said, the greatest lost treasure today are in our cemetery." People who died and took their gifts with them. It's true. 
People who never spent their gifts while they were alive. What is God gifted you in? And are you spending it every day to the people around you? Because if not, yes, I agree. And I I think of this almost every time I go to a cemetery. Been to many cemeteries. When you go to cemeteries, I'm just thinking, all the treasures are buried right here. People who spent their lives, not everybody, but too many, who buried what God had planned for them to be, to, to be the resource and blessings to others. Never happened or didn't come to fruition. John talks about a few things, and he has a bit to say about loving others. So let's talk about loving others. Uh, there's a number of key passages, and I just didn't have the time. I wanted to wrap up the epistles of 1st, 2nd, 3rd John today. So I'm just going to highlight some things here. First of all, in 1st John chapter 3, 11 to 15, John poses two options. You can either love one another, you can either love one another, or be a bunch of murderers like Cain back in Genesis, who killed his brother. You can love one another, or you can be a bunch of murderers. You can, you can If you do not actively, affectionately reach out and care and demonstration of the love of God to you, to them, then your actions are like a hatred. It's like a hatred. Because hatred is to mean, I don't care. Hatred is to mean, you're none of my business. Hatred is to say, I'm going to look after me. And you do not facilitate them. He continued on in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 down to verse 22. The aged apostle tells us how we know what love is like. So what does love look like? Well, he said, verse 16, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. So what does it look like? It means I won't put me first. I lay my life down to serve you. So I want to serve you. I want to... I want to reach out to you. I want to be a help. I want to be a blessing. I want to develop something. It's not just about me. Now, that kind of goes contrary to the world where you have a right. It's your right. It's your right. You declare your right. You take a stand on your right. How dare somebody walk over you? But Jesus, aren't you glad Jesus didn't hold on to his rights? Because if he did, he would have never descended from the Father. But he humbled himself to become a servant, Philippians chapter 2, so that he would give his life for me and you. We sang about that. And so I'm thankful Jesus never believed in that, and he doesn't want his sons and daughters to believe in that, that we likewise are here to serve, about serving. Now, I know in all our minds we think, if I do that, people will take advantage of me. Did they take advantage of Jesus? Did they take advantage of the early church? You know, it's okay. He is with me, even though others take advantage of me. He is still with me. If I try, he says, if you try to hold your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lay your life down for others, you'll actually gain it. Well, John continues in chapter 4, verse 7 to 12. Not only does love come from God, but everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. He says the reason you're able to really love is because he's showing us how to love. We live those principles of how to love. He first loved us. Out of that, I love others. That's why Jesus in the first commandment says, 
Love the Lord with all your heart and then love others. You will not have effective love for others if you don't get it from the Lord. If you can't receive it and give, if, there's, if this intimacy doesn't grow, then you're going to fall short when it comes time to trying to give to others. You're going to do it because of duty, and that tends to be short-lived. You tend to get pretty angry pretty quick. But when you keep getting filled up with his love, then you can keep pouring it out to the others, even though it seems one way. You can do it. John continues on. He says in 1 John 4, 16 to 21, he makes the connection between God and love. He says the connection between God and love is so close, he just uses those three words. God is love. God is love. Define love, God is love. Define God, God is love. He brings that, that you can't separate that. Whoever lives in love lives in God. Whoever doesn't live in love doesn't live in God. God is in him. And then John continues in chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. He ties love to believing and overcoming. That love, when you love as God loves you, that's a mark of true spirituality. When you don't care for others, when it's all about you, then you're immature, John says. You're immature. But when you demonstrate love for others, yeah, you're growing up. That's a mark of a spiritual mom, a spiritual dad in the faith. Now, loving is a mammoth challenge. I mean, I, I go through, and again, we've not taken time to go through these epistles carefully, but you can read the second John, third John, they're short, but you go through them and you realize loving others is a big deal. Now, here's the thing. It's big. I find, maybe some of you can relate to me, I find loving circumstances a lot easier. Okay, for instance, I can love my garden. <laughs> I can love my car. I can, you might love your job. You might love the Toronto, Toronto Blue Jays, what happened? I don't know if I love the Toronto Blue Jays today. I did beginning of yesterday. It's easy to love circumstances. It's hard to love people. I like what one person said. They said this. They said, we could serve others more success successfully if others weren't so otherly. We're told to love others. And, it's the, and I don't even think there's a word, otherly. But I like it. So we're going to have a word here this morning. It's called otherly. It's the otherly that's hard. Circumstances are easy. I could love this. I can love that. I can love that. You can love your pet. But loving others, they would be easy to love if they weren't so otherly. I think that's true. It becomes difficult when God, he will put difficult otherlies into your path. Who are your otherlies? Don't, don't tell me out loud. But you've got otherlies. I've got otherlies in my life. We've all got otherlies in our life. You're going to go home with the word otherly. I should have called the message otherlies. You've got otherlies in your life. These are people that are hard to love. And you know what? When, when you begin to try to bring the principle that John is talking about, about loving the otherlies, and so you're working on it, and you try not to say something, but you want to say something. You try to demonstrate love. You give to them when they take from you. 
They maybe don't treat you with respect. Maybe they take advantage of you, whatever the situation is. They could be people that are close to you in proximity or, or maybe not so much, but these otherlies in your life. And you really, you're getting, you're getting into it. And it just seems to be like when you've conquered the ability to love that otherly, God brings another otherly into your life. And they're just as more difficult, some maybe more difficult than the previous otherly. And it seems like there's a lineup of otherlies coming into our lives. And God says they want you to love them. Here's the thing that John gets across here. The Holy Spirit wants us to know this. It's not just about loving the otherlies. It's about developing you. We might think we're doing it all for them. But really God's developing something in you. For you to work through your otherlies... It's a true act of spirituality. Wow. So when you abandon your otherlies, when you say, I've had it, I'll never talk to them again, you're probably going to have to come around that wagon again because you failed. Because it's about the otherlies in your life. It's about the people that are hard to love, that God keeps lining up in your life. I know you relate to this, and this is what the word is. I think this is connected with thanksgiving, being thankful. It's easy to be thankful for the ones that are easy to love, but it's the ones that are not easy. The other lace is hard to be thankful for. So I had a question when I was going through this. I'm going, okay, John, you talk all about this love. John, how did you do when it came to love? I mean, it's easy to tell someone, it's easy for me as a pastor to sit up here today and to tell you to love your otherlies. And you're sitting there going, if you only knew them, you wouldn't say that, pastor. I know that. And I'm saying to you, if you knew my otherlies, you'd be saying, pastor, why are you even saying that? So did John love the otherlies? Well, it's really hard to know. Except what I did, I'm going to do something I, I really never do. I'm going to take you back into two stories in church history. Now, normally I don't pull stories like this in, but I did today because how else are we going to know if John practiced what he preached? He kept saying, you've got to love them. You've got to love those that normally you would maybe hate or you would disregard. So I'm going to use two people. The first one's name is Jerome of Striden. He was a priest. He lived back from 340 to 420 A.D., so he did not know John personally, but he was a theologian, and he was a writer, and he was a historian. So he gathered documents that were hundreds of years old, and he would speak from them, and he would write, he would put things together. So Jerome of Striden, one of our early church fathers, was able to get some documents around John. Now, he's fairly close to John's. I mean, he's just a few centuries from John. Like, we're 2,000 years. But he's just like, what, two, 300 years. <clears throat> so what did Jerome of Stryden have to say about John? What was known about John? Well, he tells the story that John lived to an advanced age, and he spent his last years in the city of Ephesus. So feeble was John... So eyewitnesses passed down through the writing. So feeble was John in his final years that only with difficulty could John's disciples carry him to the church for meetings. 
John could hardly speak in his final years, but when he did, he was quoted by saying, frequently when he was speaking, John would say, quote, little children love one another, unquote. John would constantly saying that. Eventually, his disciples grew weary of hearing that same phrase, little children love one another. So they asked John why he always spoke it. Here's what John's answer was from Jerome Stryden when he put this evidence together. He said this. Here's what John said. Why do you always say that same phrase? John said this, quote, It is the Lord's command, and if this alone be done, it is enough. Isn't that cool? To have some writings that come down from that time. Let me give you another one, Clement of Rome. You can study Clement of Rome. It's a bit of church history. He was one of the earliest popes. He was an eyewitness to John. He was believed to have been a convert of either Peter or Paul. We don't know for sure. But Clement of Rome, historically, he was alive during the time of John. He was an eyewitness to John. He lived, he died about 99 or 100 AD. John died, uh, they believe, somewhere around 90 to 95 AD. So, Clement of Rome, in his writings, Clement, it begins with the statement, listen to a story which is not a story but a true tradition of John the Apostle preserved in my memory. While visiting a new bishop and his congregation in Smyrna, John saw a young man of strong body, beautiful appearance, and warm heart. I commend this man, John said, to you. Who? To a bishop. I commend this young man to you with all diligence in the face of the church and with Christ as my witness. So, just pause here. John met this young man, a new convert. John gave him over to a bishop and says, you look after him. John returned, this is all coming from first eyewitness, Clement of Rome. John returned to Ephesus, and as promised, the bishop took the young man under his wing and he baptized him. Time passed and the bishop relaxed his great care and watchfulness, according to Clement of Rome. But some idle and dissolute youths, familiar with evil, corrupted him in his premature freedom. Before long, the young man gave himself entirely to a life of sin, committed crimes, and renounced his salvation. Eventually, John was summoned back to Smyrna. He asked for a report, thinking of the young man. The bishop, somewhat taken aback and not knowing how to answer, said he has died. John inquired, by how? What death? And then the bishop went on to describe the young man abandoned his faith, so he's as good as dead. John's reply, according to Capelan of Rome, quote, well, it is a fine guardian whom I left for the soul of our brother. But let me have a horse and someone show me the day. Remember, he's old. Let me have a horse and someone show me the way. Sounds a bit like the son of thunder here coming out. John was quoted to be a son. James and John, was called, they were called the sons of thunder. Kind of sounds like the son of thunder coming out in this old man. Give me a horse and show me the way where this young man is. When the elderly John found the young man, the young man started to flee. John called out to him, quote, Why do you run away from me, child? Your own father, unarmed and old. Pity me, child. Do not fear me. You have still hope of life. Listen to this. I will account to Christ for you. If it must be, I will willingly suffer your death 
as the Lord suffered for us. For your life, I will give my own. Stay. Believe. Christ sent me. Wow. Isn't that amazing? Now, John, if anybody knew that he couldn't redeem that young man, I mean, he was firsthand saw Jesus die on the cross. You know you can't, I can't redeem you. You can't redeem me. He knows that. Only Christ can redeem us. But that's how much he loved him. Let me just read that part again. I have still hope of life. I will account to Christ for you. If it must be, I will willingly suffer your death as the Lord suffered for us. For your life, I will give my own. Stay, believe, Christ sent me. It goes on, Clement goes on and says, the young man wept bitterly. He embraced the old man and pleaded for forgiveness. And the account closes by saying that John led the young man back baptized him a second time in his tears. He brought him to the church. He prayed with many supplications. He joined with him in the struggle of continuous fasting. He worked on his mind by various addresses and did not leave him. So they say until he restored him to the church and thus gave a great example of true repentance and a great testimony of regeneration, the trophy of a visible resurrection. What we're trying to say here is John just wasn't blowing smoke when he said, you got to love each other. You got to love your brothers. You got to love your sisters. You got to love the body. You got to go out of your way. You got to make a difference in people's lives. He wasn't just saying it out of the side. He was doing it. He believed it. Eyewitnesses testifying. This is how John lived his final days. I wonder how many fewer castaways might leave our church chairs empty if we practiced what we preached, who wandered from the faith and we didn't chase them. So I want to close our time by the way John closed off his epistles. Three guys. He talks in the last chapter, three guys. You can actually find this if you go to 3 John. I invite you to do that. If you go to 3 John, and it's a very short chapter, one of the shortest books in the New Testament. And he starts off by saying, the elder, to my friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may, be, you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. Gave me great joy when some believers came, testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friends, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers and sisters. Note that. You're faithful to one another. Even though they are strangers to you, they have told the church about your love. Please send them on their way in a manner that honors God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people so that we, we may work together for the truth. He talks about Gaius. Three people I want to mention here. He goes then, Gaius, he then talks about Diotrephus, and then he talks about Demetrius. I'm going to close with these three guys because John did. First of all, Gaius. We just finished reading about Gaius. That's all he said about Gaius. Gaius, he talks about here. Gaius, he says in verse 1, my dear friend Gaius. And then he begins to talk. Gaius occupied the position of leadership in the church, and Gaius reached out and served others. He gave his life to serving others. He said, no greater 
joy it was than for Gaius to serve others. By just being there and helping, by being there and loving, by being there and assisting, by doing the work that God had given him, by using his giftings to care for others, not just his family. We're not talking family. We're not talking blood brothers, sisters. We're talking others, serving others. And so John says, blessings, my dear friend. Gaius presented no problem to John. Gaius did not get in the way. He didn't, he didn't become an obstacle in the faith in the early church. And matter of fact, he was faithful. John says, you were faithful to the truth. Gaius would go on to help others be faithful to the truth. He served others. Gaius served others. Secondly, Gaius abounded in spiritual health. Now, we have reason to believe because John says he, he, he actually mentions that he prays for his friend to have good health. So maybe we're concluding, maybe he didn't have good health. Maybe he struggled in his health. Gaius maybe was a sickly person. And John was praying for good. But whatever he lacked in physical health, he abounded in his spiritual health. You know, you don't have to be super physically fit to be super physically fit in the kingdom of God. right? You can be all bent over and, and suffering. And yet in the kingdom of God, you're doing great exploits for the kingdom. It's not limited to your physical. Your physical is separate from what's going on spiritually. And Gaius abounded in spiritual health. Gaius, number three, practiced what he preached. Uh, John mentions in verse three, he says, he walked in the truth. He lived out his life. He wasn't just jab, 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 you know, talking, talking, talking. He practiced what he preached. He lived it out. He believed it and you could see him and say, yeah, he is everything that he speaks. And fourthly, John says, Gaius used his time and resources in Christian services. Again, it's sad to see Christians, proclaimed Christians, blessed with giftings and abilities, not using them for the body. I think it's the saddest thing. It's Miles Monroe. Graveyards are filled with them. Saddest thing to be blessed. Saddest thing to have and not give it away. We've only got so many years to give it away. So keep giving it away. Keep pouring it out. Keep serving. There is no greater joy. And the joy isn't always instant. It's the otherlies, right? But as we serve, we know he is faithful. Something happens. I can tell the story of Tammy. We were just talking of Tammy. She was one of the first youth I ever led to Christ in my first church. And she came, and she had a couple of brothers, and she had a cousin. And they were a rough family, just a rough background. And we used to go and often pick them up and take them home, and others would bring them in, and, and just a really rough family, young youth. And we honestly didn't know if we were making a whole lot of difference to this family. You know, the family, you know, these, these kids, you know, I don't know how to say it. They smelled. You know, like they, they didn't have clean clothes. Um, they just had a really rough background. And they just, you know, in some ways didn't fit in really well. You didn't know if you made a whole lot of difference until years later when you get a call, not even in the same church, you get a call and you, would you come and marry me? I want to get married. And, and testifying a life, none of her family other than just the kids serving Christ, testifying what God had did in their life, had done in their life. Other kids coming in, other individuals, and so many stories. You make a difference. You make a difference like Gaius, who just selflessly served. 
Well, then John comes to the second person, Diotrephus. Ah, Diotrephus, he's not like Gaius. Diotrephus, he starts off, and we just pick it up here, Diotrephus. So we come to Diotrephus in verse 9. But Diotrephus. Everybody say, but Diotrephus. Okay, there it is. But now we make a U-turn when we come to Diotrephus. But Diotrephus, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. And then he talks about Diotrephus. Let me tell you a little bit about Diotrephus because I think we have to. First of all, Diotrephus hinders others. He was a problem to John. He was a problem to the body of Christ. He wanted to always be focused on himself and everything was compared around him. He was a bad seed among them. He, he came like Gaius, but he hindered the work of the faith. He just wasn't absent. He hindered the work of the faith. Matthew chapter 13, 24 says, The kingdom of heaven could be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men were sleeping, the enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat. So in other words, you have Gaius growing up, part of the church. Diotrephus, both a part of the church. Both coming, meeting, part of the body. But one's a bad weed in there, pulling people out of the faith. Pulling people out, and the other there. And not until they come to Fullness will the weeds be removed. So in other words, they continue to grow among us. It's what Matthew talked about. John goes on. He says, Diotrephus was proud and self-willed. He always wanted to be first. You know, I remember somebody told me early in my ministry, beware of those who want to be a leader, who push to be a leader in your church. Beware. Those who want to be in control. Um. They need to give, be given leadership after they've proven good servanthood. Don't give them a leadership position until they've proven good. And that's why Paul talks to Timothy, don't raise a leader up too quickly. Let them prove themselves. Let them serve. Let them serve. Let them serve. Let them pick up tables, put out chairs. Let them serve people. Let them greet. Let them be faithful in that. Then move them into leadership. But don't give them leadership because others think they are a leader. Amen? And so... Diotrephus, this, this was the issue with Diotrephus. He self-promoted himself. He wanted to be at the front. He wanted people to see him. Ah, no, 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 no. Be careful, be careful. He pushes his way to the front. He wants to be in the lights. He wants the spotlight on him. Then he talks about Diotrephus was undisciplined and spiteful. In verse 10, he says he gossips maliciously about us. Listen to what people say about others. Beware. What are you saying, maybe? about others. Beware. He gossips. He talks about you behind your back. This is what Diotrephus. And Diotrephus refused to accept spiritual authority. When others tried to show this, he wouldn't listen. When others tried to come around him and work alongside, no, he had to be preeminent. He was the one in charge, and he spoke against those who were serving in the faith. He was somehow threatened by them. Gaius served faithfully. Geotrophus, not so much. And then he comes to Dimitri. He closes with Dimitri, and he doesn't say a whole lot about Dimitri. It's just a very short little spot here where he says in verse 12, Dimitri is well spoken of by everyone, and even the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. That's all he said about Dimitri. Dimitri, he's a contagious Christian. He attracts others. It says Dimitri is well spoken of by everyone. People just love him. 
He's just there. He just cares for people. He gets along. He just shows by his own life that he loves God and he loves you. And he's, he's, he's well-spoken of. I'm going to say Demetrius attracts others. He just attracts others. Listen, as we come to this end, I wonder where we fit in. Gaius, Diotrephus, Dimitri. Where, am I, where do I want to be? What do I want to be spoken of? How do I want to be perceived? Am I loving the others? Because we come back to our text. Our text, very simply, was in John, 1 John 4, verse 20. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister in the faith who doesn't serve them is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot really love God whom they have not seen. They might say they do, but it's proven by your love and care for each other. There's a word this morning. So this Thanksgiving, this Thanksgiving, can we make that a goal, make that a life pursuit in how we will live our faith for others? Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.